Q&A Sunday, but we've been talking about this for a few weeks. The idea here is that you provide the questions and then we can have a little bit of a discussion. I can throw in some uh, passages of scripture to talk about some of the issues that are on your minds, on your hearts, um, and we can even have a little bit of back and forward discussion about some stuff. Um, this comes right back to our core mission statement of who we are as a church. Adora was talking about vision, and our vision is that we would help each other take our next step towards Jesus. So that's what we want to do. We want to be involved together. And part of that means that instead of me always just coming up with things to say, because uh, I can do that, but it may not be right, um, you want to bring stuff to me and, and bring up some things that are on your mind, on your heart, questions that you may have, things that you're either curious about or things that might even be stopping you from taking that next step, things that might be blocking you from getting closer to Jesus, that have been sitting there kind of rotting away in your soul as like, what is going on with this thing? And I, may, I don't promise to be able to answer every question, but it would be great for us to talk about it, to discuss together, to have a think about it. So some of you have sent some questions through, um, and so we're going to have some of those up on the screen in a second. Um, but I just wanted to address one question that I got on Friday, which was nice, at the end. So we'll, we'll start off with that one, and then we'll kind of go from there. And then if anyone has any other questions, and you want to put your hand up, please do that. I was kind of hoping Kenzie and Lily would be here today, because they're our go-to question asks, uh, askers. But, um, oh, we're just going to have to pick up the slack for them. So, <laughs> All right, so the first question I got um, comes from a verse in 1 Thessalonians 4.16. So I'm going to read the verse, and then I'll uh, give you the question, and then we'll talk about it. The verse is, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout. This is at the end of, end of time when Jesus returns. With the voice of the archangel, 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 the angel of the archers, and with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. So the question that was asked about this is, does this include Christians who have been cremated? Which is a question. And actually, this is a question that I have encountered a couple of different times in a few different ways of basically the question surrounding, I believe the question is surrounding, is it okay to be cremated? Is it okay if when Jesus comes back, the dead are going to be raised to life, what happens if we cremate someone? And they don't have a body to, to raise up from the dead. So it is an honest question. And I want to start by recognizing that in this room, we have a lot of different cultural groups. And every different cultural group approaches the issue of passing into death differently. There are a lot of different sort of traditions and different ideologies and different sort of ways of dealing with this issue. So I want to recognize that, that um, we would approach these in different ways. But from a purely biblical point of view, if we're just asking, what does the Bible say about this? The Bible does not actually speak one way or other against or for cremation. So there's no scripture that says, thou shalt not burn bodies. Um, but... Biblically, they never did. Um, there was a couple of instances where someone was burnt. Um, I think Saul, King Saul in the Old Testament, was cremated because his body, uh, it was, he died in battle and it was kind of a 
gross sort of situation. So they didn't want people to humiliate him by seeing him in that state. So they burned him and buried his bodies and hid them. Other people were burnt as a part of a judgment or um, sort of a, a curse in a sense. So some people have looked on it negatively. There's a few things that I think we need to think about with this. I'm going to really quickly go through them because I want to get through as many questions as we can. But here's number one. Many, many Christians throughout history have died in fires and other situations that have completely destroyed their bodies. And I don't want to step in God's place, but I don't think he's holding them back from heaven because that is the way they died. That's not their fault. That's just how life happened. So some of them are out of our control cremated anyway. Secondly, and I don't want to get gross here, but if after a couple of years, when your body has been buried, the amount of decomposition that happens anyway is going to mean that if you were to rise from the dead, there would be a significant amount of recreation that would have to happen for that person in order to kind of resemble anything close to what they went in the ground as. Um, <clears throat> and so the idea of a God being able to do that means they can... God can recreate from anything. In fact, the first person he ever created was created from dust. So um, ashes is, is not really a problem. It's not a puzzle too hard for God to put back together. And the third one, but I think this is the most important one, is that the Bible describes that the body we are resurrected with, and the Bible does talk about resurrection. So when he comes back, people will be resurrected, but they'll be resurrected with a body that is very different from the body that we have right now. So 1 Corinthians 15, I'm not going to get into all of it because it's quite a complicated little um, discussion that Paul has. But he basically says, the body you have now is limited. It's, it's not good enough to, to kind of last the distance. God's going to give us a new body. And unless you're like Matt, who is like completely jacked, uh, most of us are kind of like, yes, that's good. I need a new body, right? I'm, I'm happy about it. <laughs> Sorry about Matt. Just throwing you under the bus there, buddy. Um, so this uh, verse uh, 53 of chapter 15 in 1 Corinthians says, For this perishable must put on the imperishable, and the mortal must put on immortality. So the point is, we get a new body anyway. So it doesn't really matter in the manner that we go into the ground. God's going to recreate us when we come back out again. So, you want to cremate me when I die? Go right ahead. In fact, give me a Viking funeral. Put me on a boat, fire some arrows out at me, and, and do it that way. That's great. But there is one other aspect that we must bring into play here. I don't mind being cremated. I have no theological issue with being cremated. I don't think the Bible speaks against that. However, if I am cremated and someone who loves me believes differently, it is going to cause damage to their faith, is it not? So we who are preparing the situation, all right, we who have been left behind when someone passes, we must consider not only the wishes of those who have died, but the wishes and the, the, the emotional and spiritual well-being of all of those around us. So the Bible talks about this in lots of different sort of contexts. We have freedom to do what we like in a lot of situations, but we must be careful not to trip other people up. So if it's going to cause a lot of problems, if it's going to cause people to question their faith, if it's going to cause people sorrow and heartache because they think through this action that their loved one is not going to make it to heaven, we must take that into consideration. We must take their feelings and their, their souls into consideration because God spares special judgment talk 
for people who would trip up the faith of others. He doesn't like that, so don't do that. <laughs> so does that kind of answer that question a little bit? Hi, Nate. Follow-up question? Yes. You mentioned that the first person was made from dust. Yes. Adam. Adam. So, and I'd be interested in other people's thoughts on this, but I'm wondering if you think he had a uh, tummy button. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> did Adam have a belly button? This one I'm filing alongside, did God make a rock so big he can't lift it? <coughs> it's kind of <laughs> like, like, it's the chicken or the egg question. Yeah, yeah. Well. Can, okay. I the, can I hear the rock answer after that? Please? Okay. <laughs> Does anyone want to stab, take a stab at did Adam have a, a belly button? Because obviously you, your belly button comes from the umbilical cord from your mother and Adam didn't have a mother, so he didn't have an umbilical cord, so did he have a belly button? No, or yes, we don't know. <laughs> God made a fully formed human being, so why wouldn't he have a belly button? Oh. I am Groot. Ooh, Just I'm say Groot. I am yeah, Groot. Yeah, I am Groot. Yeah. <laughs> um, and no, God can't make a rock so big he can't lift it. But can he? I don't know. <laughs> All right. Let's get back to some real questions. Does anyone... Okay, so what I want to do um, is on the next screen, we have a few questions that have kind of been presented that we can kind of choose from. We're probably not going to get time to get through all of them. Nate, you're going to be my special watch guard of time. Um, but I'll read those out, and then I wanted to open up also if there is a fifth question that comes from you guys that you can ask that as well. Or you can say, I want that one. Okay? So question number one, why do Christians not celebrate Halloween? And, um, and follow up with that one, why do we then create a new celebration on the same day called a light party that's not Halloween but basically is. So why do we do that? Um, why shouldn't I judge Christ by the actions of Christians? That's a good one. Which basically encompasses the whole, like, why are Christians idiots sometimes? <laughs> I think that's probably the best way to put that one. Why is it important to attend church? Especially since we can listen to worship music online, we can... Um, listen to podcasts. We get everything from a Christian uh, church service online. Why do we have to come to church? That's that one. And why does God seem so different in the Old Testament and the New Testament? So those are the questions that have come through. Some little head scratches there. But before we get into any of those, I thought, does anyone have anything that they would like to ask to bring in? And Nate's got a microphone, so he's not allowed to use it anymore, but he can bring it round, and if no one has any particular, does in? I'm sorry. Are you asking me a question, or are you speaking to your sister subtly? While okay, yeah. and now I'm drawing attention to it. Yeah. Hi, Martha. How are you doing? It's good to see you again. Um, okay, so would anyone like to choose one then to talk about? Okay, so we'll start with the easy one, shall we? <laughs> okay. Why does God seem so different in the Old Testament? And more to the point, why does God seem so violently different in the Old Testament, so judgy, so angry, like this guy on the left? And the, guy, and the God of the New Testament seems so happy and so loving and so generous. <laughs> God is supposed to be the same, right? He's supposed to not change. Here's a couple of verses that kind of set the scene for this um, question. One's in Malachi 3.6, I am the Lord and I do not change. 
Hebrews 13.8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if he's the same, why is he so different? This one has comes up a lot. Anyone want to kind of hazard a guess before I jump in here? Lame. All right. Because it's on. Because I guess because then Jesus was there in the New Testament to judge them or something okay. or teach them. So the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament is Jesus has turned up on the scene. Which is actually right, obviously. That's that's is when he became a human. And he did change the nature of it. I will push back on another question. Jesus was still there throughout the Old Testament, right? In different form. He was the word. The word was at the beginning. So why would Jesus change things? I think one thing we should do when we start looking at this is we should take a step back. Because we look at Old Testament and we wrap that up in a bow and we look at the New Testament and wrap that up in a bow. But really what it is, it is one story that happens from beginning to end. And when we step back and we look at the whole story, it seems like it is changing. But when we, when we talk about God and we say that He is unchanging, what we mean is His essence and His character, who He is, does not change. But that does not mean His plan stays the same, or the plan does not change, but the plan has different stages in it, right? So a God who sat at the beginning of the universe and said, this is what I want to do, I want to create, and he sees everything play out all throughout history, he says, here's how I want to get humanity from Genesis through to Revelation. And I am going to do certain things at certain times to push this story along, to show myself to people, to show how I love them, I'm going to move through a linear sort of line. And so the story may look different at the beginning than at the end, but most stories do. So when someone, when an author writes a story, the author does not change from beginning to the end of the story. They're always going to get to the end of the story. There was always the purpose. There was always the point is to get to the end of the story. But the story itself looks very different in beginning stages than it does at the end. Does that make sense? So that's why you have God seemingly acting differently at the beginning in the Old Testament and then seemingly acting different in the New Testament. But really what is happening is the same God is playing out the story in different stages throughout history. That's why you see that. As for his personality, where it seems like he is very angry at the beginning and very loving at the end, we kind of look at that and say this seems like two different gods. The angry, vengeful Old Testament God and the happy, forgiving New Testament God. In fact, some people, different groups throughout history have said it has to be two different gods. That the Old Testament God was an evil God and the New Testament God defeated that Old Testament God and, and took over. That's nowhere in the Bible. We can't, we can't go with that. Unfortunately, there's, as easy that would explain things, that's not how it looks. What we need to do when we look at the different characteristics of God and the way He presents Himself is we have to let each seeming extreme 
explain the entirety of his personality. Does that make sense? When we say God of the Old Testament looks like this, God of the New Testament looks like this, we're actually making him smaller. We're making his personality smaller. He is either angry or he's either loving. (laughs) But when we look back and we see, for example, in the Old Testament, we see horrific examples of judgment where God says to his people, go and, and, and kill everybody. Like, wipe out the whole city. Don't leave anything alive. Men, women, children, I mean, it mentions all of this stuff. We can't escape that, and that seems pretty harsh. But then we have to look at that and say, that is how God sees rebellion. That is the way in which God reacts to and feels about rebellion against himself. Because he is God. He is not just some guy living down the street that we elected into office. He is the one who created everything. He said, this is the way I want the world to be. And then we spat in his face by doing it differently. So he says, that is wrong. And this is, this is how I feel about it. So those sorts of reactions of judgment sound really harsh, but they are the most appropriate reaction to rebellion against God. Which means that everything he does throughout the entire story of the Bible, right, including the Old Testament, everything he does to help us avoid that punishment is what grace is. That's what the word grace means. It's undeserved favor, meaning we deserve everything, the worst stuff that we could read about. That's what we deserve because God made us and we rebelled against him. But we see another picture in the New Testament, especially where Jesus comes and he says, I want to forgive. I want to reconcile you. I want to bring you back to myself. Shows the love that he has had from the very beginning. The pain that he experiences about having to see his people walk away from him. To walk into that judgment. And he says, I want to bring you back. That's what the story uh, Nate read about. The story of the prodigal son. That's what it's all about. It is about bringing his people back to him. But the judgment still needs to happen because God is a fair and just God and we have rebelled. So there is this punishment that must happen, that must be there. But he wants to reconcile us to him. So what does he do? He takes the punishment on himself in the form of his son, Jesus. That's what changes from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Jesus turns up, he says, I am God. All right, but I love you so much. I'm going to take every piece of punishment for you. Every piece. So that you can get back to God. The judgment is the same. The anger at sin, the, 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 just the complete distraughtness at sin remains the same. It's just pointed somewhere else. That's why we come together. That's why we take communion. That's the beautiful story of the gospel. That's why it seems so different. Because we've got the target off our back, which is wonderful. Yes? Sorry, you said I can't use this, but I just had a thought. An analogy that I'm asking if this would be helpful. The the father-son or the parent-child analogy, could we build on that and say, like, 
if you have kids that are older, think about how you parented when they were young versus how you parent now. Well, Is that true, yeah. helpful Old Testament, like God's bringing up his children to New Testament, maybe? I think so. I think um, when we look at the way we parent kids and the way we parent adults, there's a sense of we sort of let go a little bit because they are older and more mature. I don't think the Bible ever really sees us as being mature enough to <laughs> God to let go of that. So he still has that sense of, but then even as we mature as Christians, and he gives us more responsibility and that sort of thing as well. I can see that, that analogy coming through. Yes? Courtney, what Hello. would you like to ask? Well, I was just going to say, it reminds me of a, um, an analogy I heard one time about uh, there were these three blind men and they were told to touch an elephant and explain it. And mm. so one touched the elephant, they touched its side and it's, it's huge and it's so tall I can't even reach the top. And the other one touched the elephant on the tusk. No, it's, it's so soft and hard and pointy and the other one touched the elephant um, on its trunk and well it almost looks like a snake it's wiggly mm. and moves around kind of long and they were all three feeling the majesty of the elephant but they all felt different pieces and, and different pieces applied to them in their lives and I think that's like God we in different times of our lives or in, in different eras of the world we see different yeah. aspects that relate to he us. He reveals to different aspects of it yeah, and nothing it's is, is it's Sorry, yeah. Yeah, no, I was just going to say that's part of the mystery of God mm. is we can never really understand the fullness of him, but... Yeah, and I think as he played out that story of bringing us back to him, he revealed more about himself as he went along. Yeah. For example, we started out thinking it was just one God by himself, you know, the Lord is one and all of that sort of stuff, and then we realized he's still one God, but he's actually three persons. That was confusing. Yeah. Um, but, well, so, but he reveals more of himself as, as we go along. Yeah, it's really good, really good. Okay, next question. It's 20 past now. 19 minutes. All right. Well, let's do one more question. Would anyone like to pick another one? Oh, good. I like that one. Okay, so why shouldn't I judge Christ by the actions of Christians? Okay. That's why I'm glad you asked that, because I love that picture. Okay. Let me, the, the, the background to this is um, a question that, and I, don't, I won't, uh, I'm going to use anonymity this, but people, the person who asked this knows people who have had horrible experiences with Christians, um, with church leaders who have been unfaithful and had affairs, and we know stories of people who have swindled money out of their churches and who have done all sorts of horrible things. I just recently, and this is going to break Nate and Winnie's heart, but I just recently, there's a, a, a Christian comedian, John Christ, who's just canceled a bunch of his tours because his, all of these sexual allegations that have come up and he admitted to. So it's like, oh man, you know, he was a comedian. That was our best shot. But um, <laughs> so we, we see all of these things. We hear all of these things. I grew up in a church um, when I was younger and the minister ran off with another woman and his son was a friend of mine and he was so angry. And so this comes up and people say, I cannot, like, what was it? Who said that, like, um, it's not 
the most unbelievable thing about Christians is not Jesus, but you know the quote. The greatest single cause of atheism in the Thank world you. today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips but deny him by their lifestyle. Billy Graham. That's what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. And then DC Talk sings, Mind's Eye. Anyway, so, um, so that's, that is what people say. And we sit there and we go, come on, don't do that. Don't paint us all with the same brush, right? You know, we hear of supremacist Christians like shooting up black churches in the States. And then, of course, the, the mosque down in Christchurch. And, and um, thankfully, the Christian aspect of his life didn't come out too much. But he did claim that. And it's like, oh, man, you guys are doing so much damage all throughout history. The Crusades all done in the name of Jesus. And, and you know, it's just, there's so much bad stuff that has been done by Christians. And, and people are like, I don't want to have anything to do with Jesus. And we say, no, that's not fair. That's not fair to judge Jesus by his people. So that's what we're, we're trying to ask is, is it okay to judge people by Christians? Well, let me ask a different question. And this is where I want some responses. Why do you think... Jesus made humanity the face of the Christian faith. Given the way that we just consistently and epically mess things up and cause all sorts of problems, why did he put it in our hands in the first place? I mean, seriously, I don't want to accuse God of mismanagement, but it just seems like a bad idea. So why do you think he did then? Because he did. He put it on us. He said, you are the church. You are the face of of who Jesus is. I've heard a, a quote that says, you are often the only Bible that some people will ever read. Why did he put that on our shoulders? Discuss. Why do you think that? Jane. Well, I think maybe it's because God didn't want us to rely on ourselves. He wanted us to rely on, on him and, and look to him mm -hmm. and to continue to look to him and have relationship with him so that we could then take that back, back with others. Sure, yeah. So it builds that reliance on him when they do. When they don't, it just turns the custard. Yeah. Why else do you think Jesus would be willing to put something so important in the hands of people so fallible? Faye. I think it goes back to when he created Adam and Eve. Okay. That his plan from the very beginning was yes. to create man to worship and love him because that's what he wanted. Yes. He wanted relationship. Yes. And when they had the, they he gave them free will. Yeah. And they decided to, you know, eat from that um, tree of knowledge. That kind of like, even though it kind of, to us, it seems like his plan was kind of sidetracked. His ultimate plan, in the you know, overall, mm -hmm. is to go back to his original plan, which is to have relationship with man. Yeah, and that man would be the image bearer of God. The Bible says we are made to look like God. That was always the plan. Yeah, good point. I want to read a... Oh, yes, please. Thank you, Amy. Hello. Hi, Amy. Um, I kind of feel like the most accurate and biggest display of grace is being able to see just how much we don't deserve it. Mm -hmm. So just because we've accepted Jesus as Christ doesn't then mean we somehow stop being human and fragile. So I feel like, say for that comedian, like, yeah, part of me is like, damn it, why'd you do that? Like, you, you, 
we were hoping in you, but it's like that's not where our hope is. No. And actually, if we can have the conversation with someone, that's where we go, yeah, but that's Jesus. Like, that's yep. who he is. He goes, Very good. I knew before anyone else knew, I still loved you and I still accept you. And that's, I think, more exciting. Yeah. Being able to be like, look how gracious he is. Brilliant. Gold star for you, Amy. That was excellent. There is a verse. She's in my life group, just saying. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Taught you everything you know, don't, right, Nate? Okay. Um, there is a verse, because Paul, the writer of a lot of the New Testament, would agree with you. In fact, he says this in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7. He says, Now we have this light shining in our hearts, the story of Jesus, the forgiveness for everybody, shining in our hearts. But we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. That's the, that's the question. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. And I think one of the biggest things that, that Jesus wanted to show the world is that the path to him can come in the form of fallible people. Like we can find our way to God as fallible people, which is the hope for a fallible world, right? For people who don't know him and who feel like they can't get to him, we are actually really good advertisements that Jesus is okay with people who are broken. Um, so that's... I think that's part of that. Right, so there's, there's three things I want to mention about this question of why shouldn't I judge Christ by the actions of Christians. Logically, we shouldn't. Logically, it is not fair to judge God by fallible people. It's not fair because we're not all the same and Jesus is perfect. But practically, yeah, it's going to happen anyway. It is just going to happen. If I go to McDonald's and one of the workers throws a tantrum and throws like frozen Cokes at everybody in the restaurant, I am not going to say logically that McDonald's is a terrible restaurant because this person did that. But it's not going to look good for McDonald's, is it? It's going to reflect poorly on the company when people wearing their uniform act that way. That's a hypothetical, by the way. It didn't actually happen. So that is why the Bible talks a lot about when we put on, and this is a lot of the language, putting on Jesus, almost like a robe, like clothing, like a uniform, that identifies to the world that we are his followers, we are accountable to him for the way that we live our lives. Now, we can't help all of the people who are doing crazy, crazy things and, and all of that sort of stuff. We can't help that, but we can help what we do. We can help what we say, we can help how we act and how we treat other people so that we don't become part of that problem, but rather part of that solution. And then spiritually, the answer is this, that we pray that God continues to make a, an impact in the world through people like us and through even people like that. That God continues to do what he's been doing for 2,000 years, which is changing the world through broken people which is a beautiful picture of what we can do as a church. And I think that'll wrap us up nicely, won't it? But could you do like a quick snapshot of the other two questions? Or is that... Okay, if you want to. Like 